Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And welcome, folks, to another edition of the Michigan Football Breakdown focused on the offense with Al Borges. And how about that? Right <laughs> on the, Al Borges did not have any technical difficulties this week. His his light is right. I don't know, Al, you've never glistened so much on camera, man. I know, Sam. I'm a little bit of a Neanderthal when it comes to this technological stuff. So when it, if you have to troubleshoot something... I'm in trouble, man. But you know what? We're up and running. And Sam, are you ready to be eloquent and effervescent? Always. When am I not, Al? When am I not? Oh, no, don't get me started on that. But I'm the just Lions, saying, especially yeah. with how the Lions. I mean, the Lions and Michigan being good at the same time. The Lions, it's, Sam. It's the a Lions. rare occurrence in my lifetime, Al. You know oh, that, right? My goodness gracious! I watched the game the other night, and I'm a uh, a newly born Lion fan. I mean, I grew up 49er fan, still am, but. Of all the Detroit teams, that's the one that I've clung to. And I live and die, and now I know what you guys have been dealing with for years sometimes. But this year, looking good, Sam. So far, so good. I want to send a sincere thanks to those of you uh, who not only support this show, our breakdown that we are about to jump into full board, but support our film studies. Man, I looked at the uh, at the fundraiser to fund the film studies. We make no money on those film studies, just so you know. Make sure they know, Sam. Make sure they know. <laughs> they, they, hey, man, they hawk every, they hawk every know, week. Hey, That's why I, I give the disclaimer. Like, if those of you watch the film studies, like, why does Sam always say that? Because they check. You know, the copyright folks, they check to make sure we aren't making money on those videos. That's why I say it all the time. But Yeah, we're kind of at our, our listeners' mercy a little bit on those. Are. <laughs> so... Uh, I appreciate you indulging me for letting me repeat that all the time, just to assure those who watch such things. Also appreciate those of you who supported the PayPal fundraiser, which we have up and running. Uh, we'll have it in the comments. So if you want to check that out, we'll post it in the comment section uh, as we get rolling and certainly after the broadcast. But Al, two weeks in the bag for the maize and blue, uh, two weeks in a row, J.J. McCarthy. There is not. This is my contention, Al. You've coached quarterbacks and you've coached football. I haven't. But I've watched enough to know and have seen other quarterbacks this season to say that even though they have gaudier stats in the Pac-12 and the ACC, no quarterback in the country is playing better right now than number nine, J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, and I think the guys that he's played against would attest to that because they – and I think the UNLV – coach uh, actually made a point of that after the game he just does it he throws 25 passes and he's out of the game and by the end of the third quarter I mean the numbers are only going to be so good they are very gaudy when you consider how much he's playing he threw uh, 25 balls and hit 22 of them in this game and I don't know man that's not easy to do on air okay never mind put a defense out there but that's you know, you can compile some pretty good numbers sometimes and really not be playing as well as a lot of people might think. But this kid has really taken a step. He's His decision-making process, his footwork within the pocket, whether it's a run-up throw, a back-out throw, or just a structural 
hitch throw. And in this game, he even threw a, a plant throw where he came back and threw a skinny post time route, spun it right between defenders. Decision-making process is good. You saw more checkdowns in this game. And and as they see Michigan play more, Sam, they're going to see, they're going to practice those play passes and getting their butts out of there after they see the ball hasn't been exchanged. So there'll be some checkdowns, but you can see those checkdowns. Yeah, when those defenses have, those defensive players have their backs to you. And they're blowing back to stop those digs and all that. And you check the ball down to a playmaker like Corum or Donovan Edwards, man, those, those can gain as many yards as if you threw it down the field. So, uh, his game, he's at the top of his game. Uh, it'll get tougher, but I think he's equal to it. He's been in the arena now, and I think he knows what he's doing. He's comfortable. I think the team has uh, has taken on a little bit of his personality with regard to work ethic and, and toughness, and and I think uh, you know, uh, sky's the limit. You know, I think the, the expression they use today is he has a high ceiling. Okay, I don't know what I'm not sure what that is, but I think. His ceiling is pretty high. Yeah, man, I, I'm curious, and we'll get to your broad brush here coming up, but Sharon was back, right? I felt the difference um, in that, you know, not, not you know, kind of difference between, um, you know, um, uh, Kirk calling the game and Sharon calling. That's not what I'm talking about. I felt the difference from game one to game two. It really felt like to me, Al, novice observer, that Sharon went into this game saying, we're going to work the perimeter run game because it, it just from the jump from the first series of the game, you could you could feel that emphasis. And as a play caller, I'm wondering if you did, if you felt the same thing. No, oh, that yeah, there's no doubt. They only ran, I think, two or three dual plays the whole game. So they were they were going to run the stretch, the, the fly with the lead blocker and a reverse. They were going to get the that was their prime, the primary way they were going to get the ball outside. And they weren't going to wait a quarter or two to do it. They were going to come out and try to establish some of that stuff from the get. And uh, they had some success with it. They had a few, you know, a few bad plays, but for the most part, it wasn't bad. And it helps them for the future because uh, these teams are playing duo buster defense. Okay. They're putting they're, they're running defenses designed to stop that play, knowing that if they look at video from the last year, that, that is the primary run play that Michigan attacks the defense with. So you're seeing some very similar defenses. Either they're, either they're in their package or they're stealing from stealing from the people that they've watched Michigan play against, and they're making it as difficult as they can to run that play. So there has to be a counter to that, and I think instead of waiting in this game, they came out and did it from the get-go. All right, so let's get to your broad brush observations, 35-7. to 7. The Wolverines best at UNLV uh, play caller Al, offensive coordinator. I guess I should give your credentials. He was OC for Michigan. He was OC for Auburn in the undefeated year. He was OC for UCLA. He was OC for Oregon. He was OC for Boise State. Sam, Al, Sam, 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 Sam. <laughs> I'll, you, you just, I'll lay them all out, Al. I know. Sam, it's, it look. just makes it look like I can't hold a job. But when uh, <laughs> I didn't go anywhere, Al. I had the same job my whole life. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's good or bad. But. Anyway, all that aside, um, I liked, I mean, uh, they're not running, they ran the ball better, okay? They had 179 yards rushing, but it's still not to their standard, okay? They, they, they need to run the ball better, and I'm sure they're the first ones to tell you that. But that's 179 yards is respectable when you consider everybody's playing so hard on the run and they're giving uh, McCarthy all those downfield throws. It happened again, Sam. It looked like deja vu all over again, you know, Yogi, Yogi Berra. Um, 
but 492 yards is nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty good game. Uh, seven for 12 on third down. And that's a lot of the J.J. McCarthy show. He's bailing them out of some third downs. And as long as you can keep that thing, you know, within seven yards, and even he's even doing it when it's more than that. But you keep that thing six, seven yards or, or less, he's going to get the first down more often than not. And, and he's, he's just proven that. 23 first downs. You like Your goal is usually about 25, but 23 is good. That's a good game. You know, I, I thought they, they did a nice job there. And, again, they possessed the ball 31-06. And like I say, with Michigan, time of possession is a factor. They are not a fast offense team. So they want to have the ball more than you have. But, so, uh, but uh, I think uh, – the offensive line was, you know, very similar performance to the week before, maybe a little bit better in some areas. Uh, they continue to do a wonderful job with their tight end package. Uh, they're in a little bit of a dilemma with that now, and we'll talk about this later, I know, is are you going to play that second tight end or are you going to find a way to maybe get Donovan Edwards in there in a two-back with three wides, you know, or, or something like that or however you want to do it. I mean, there's a million ways to do it. But uh, using those tight ends, I just love it. But it could cost – uh, playing another guy so you may find you know they may find a way to, to to work maybe a few less plays with two tight ends there a few more plays with with donovan in there as a second back so but overall they did what they had to to win uh i think they had a turnover when it was irrelevant so that wasn't i didn't see that as a big deal it was uh it was a good game and a good win and they, they were never threatened you know uh, and they continue to roll i think they're right on schedule so one of the things that you know, we've been talking about, the, the run game compared to where it was last year. I mean, they're, they have many of the same components, uh, but there are some new components. The new components are along the offensive line. Uh, and so let's talk about that for a second. First of all, Drake Nugent seems like he has lived up to the hype. Have you gotten yeah, that impression on the film? I grade these guys for you know every every week for the last three or four years, and I've waited two games, and I think I got him with two minuses in two games. I mean, he's 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 Olu type. You know, I had a comment. Someone asked us, "How can you compare it to a Outland Trophy winner or a Remington winner?" I said, "Well, I'm not gonna like I said. I don't I don't annoy anybody. They played for a while, but don't be a bit surprised if this kid is enough for those same type of accolades. Mm -hmm. He may be in it because he's very good player, great second level blocker." Tough to move on the line of scrimmage and, you know, be in the center such you do get a lot of help, but I'm not sure how much he needs. He has not shown any susceptive, uh, not shown any vulnerability, I should say, to, uh, to pass protection issues. I mean, he, he seems to be doing fine there. And he got out in a reverse. He looks like he can run. I mean, the kid the kid is, he's played a lot of football, you know, and, and you can tell that he's a good fit for them, you know. Um, Keegan and, uh, and uh, Zenter are both one step better, if you will. I think they were good, solid players a year ago, but I think they're still they're there, you know. Where some of the growing pains are are taking place, if any, is at the tackles, although both of them are very capable players. Uh, Henton, who is, uh, if, uh, you know, he's still in a run game. Uh, he still has a play or two where uh, he'll, the guy come off him on a reach play or he wasn't able to cut off a three one time. It cost him a tackle for loss. But he's capable of doing all that. I mean, he's not. He's he's a good player, and he's very good in pass protection. I don't see any issues there. And uh, through two games, uh, Barnhart has, has done very well. Again, I mentioned last week I had my doubts whether he could play a left tackle, but so far, so good. And and I think that he's good. The big thing now, though, Sam, is is remember with with Drake 
or no, I'm sorry, Nugent, Hinton, and Barnhart at left tackle rather than right, you got still got some chemistry issues, okay? Because there's new guys, okay? And offensive line is all about playing in concert, making the calls, taking the right steps that close those gaps off so people can't penetrate our zones, you know, and making sure the communication is straight when people are stemming fronts or moving on, which you're doing a lot of, right? You're getting a ton of movement. Very few of these teams are sitting still. They're, very few of these teams are still targets. So it takes some chemistry for those five to work, and I think uh, as they play more, they'll play better. So, uh, like I said, I think for the most part, they're on schedule. Yeah, I uh, definitely reacted to in the run game. There being some, uh, you know, there being some instances where uh, they weren't as stout as you you want them to be. And it was definitely uh, thinking about the, the tackle position and, and thinking about it with it from the context within the context of the competition at tackle, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Sharon, Sharon addressed this in the press conference this week. Said, "Look, we look at film. Like we base it on who's practicing the best and looking at film, and and so." What I can, what I think we can infer from that is, uh, what we see in the run game. Uh, if we think that that it lends itself to more competition at the position, that there isn't, that the competition seems to be, uh, for the time being, kind of decided on Carson and on Miles. What it says to me is those guys are ahead in, in pass pro. And if you look at, if you look at them in pass pro, Al, both guys have been really really good yeah there's been uh, no issues yeah, yeah there have been no issues in, in pass pro this has been mostly a discussion about run blocking mm-hmm. and uh the belief must be that while it needs to get better it will get better with with more reps and then you got ladarius and you got trente right there to, to keep pushing them that at least that's that that's the feel i get from it from the outside looking in i think that's accurate and, and just remember the coach, in particular, line play, they, they know. I mean, they coach those guys every day. They know how they tick and what makes them tick and who works together the best. You know what I mean? They know things that we don't know. And, and unless you're front and center, you're with them all the time. And it, 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 it's they can they make the best judgments. A coach has the best judgment. So there's a reason all those guys are in there. Okay. Uh, I mean, you can, you can, uh, nitpick certain plays and say, well, look, he didn't do this or didn't do that. And, uh, and when that play is a play kill, you know, it's a play kill where, where you step to your right, you're trying to reach the guy, you lose him. He falls off underneath. You lose three yards. Oh my God. The kid's not playing very well. That's one play. Okay. That's one play. It's not necessarily, if you watch the sum total of his play, he's probably pretty solid, but everybody, you know, every so often is going to lose a battle. So, uh, you're looking at something on a, on a, on a uh, how do they work with the other five guys? What's the consistency in the run and pass game? How does he stack up with the guy that he's playing, that he's competing with? And well, I, I mean, think at this point, the coach is the best guy to pick that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of just what the coaches said, just what mm-hmm. you know. Jim said. Remember, at the beginning before the season, he said, "Hey, we're gonna have, we're gonna treat the tackle position like we did the quarterback position. We're yeah. gonna start, we're gonna start one." one game like he did with K last year and then we're going to start JJ the next game he said we're going to do the same thing with the with the tackles Carson and Miles Hinton and then yeah. he clearly had identified as the guys who were out front in in camp and then he said uh you know Trente and Ladarius but they haven't done that right so what does that say what does that mean um uh, if you believe that you know the the run blocking needs some some growth They've been solid. 
but not up to necessarily last year's standard as a unit, then that would lend itself to, okay, well, let's, let's, you know, rotate. But if the pass pro is stellar and it's been really, really good, then they must, they must be well ahead in that, in that category to the point where it's like, no, let's not rotate. Let's just try to grow it in, in the, in the composition that we have right now. Again, that's, that's the feel for it based on what they had to say. But you said something earlier that I want you to focus on here. You said, um, the duo busting defense that teams have adopted a strategy based on what you've seen the first two weeks, you feel like there's a strategy that defensive coordinators are going to try to employ to slow Michigan down. What is that strategy? Well, what you do, first of all, philosophically is you look at what the other team does the best, try and take that away and make them play left-handed. Okay. And that's what, basically defenses are trying to do. It's just not working because McCarthy's playing too well. Okay. And Michigan does have some alternatives. What they're doing, I think, again, I don't have all the answers to this. I just look at all the tape and draw conclusions based on what I see is UNLV may have these defenses in their package, probably do, but they're looking at how TCU handled the dual play. They're looking at how uh, ECU handled the dual play and, and looking at how uh, uh, best example is Illinois. Okay. And what they're doing is they're running defense and their pro- their favorite defense. And we're going to talk about this in the film study because we did a, a telestration on this is to bring people from a double legal defense. What's a double legal defense. That means they've got two, three techniques, two guys outside your guards, down guys and a nose guard head up on your center. And they'll walk a stand-up guy, a fourth lineman who's usually standing up. He's usually not down. They'll walk him up on your tight end, okay? They'll either bring the corner off the backside with all those guys slanting away from that corner to blow up all those gaps, okay? Or slant the other way and bring a nickel or a strong safety with that stand-up guy. Okay, now again, I, you need to. This is a lot of stuff here, but it gives you the idea what's happening. They are trying to eliminate all those gaps, blow up all those gaps with movement, forcing you to now single block all those guys. Okay, on the duo play, and the reason it's called the duo, we mentioned this in another one of our, 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 our programs, is they want double teams. And what Michigan was getting a lot of the year last year was more, uh, Four two looks or down line where they could come off and double team up to the second level and move that defensive lineman off the ball so the running back could get in there, see the where, where it was going to open up and either hit it or cut back or do whatever. But he always had enough movement. Well, now it's getting harder because there's one guy blocking one guy. And whenever there's one guy blocking one guy, it's harder to move him and there's more arch, margin for error. So that's that defense is is, is really prevalent. The other one, Sam, is the run-through stuff. And this is what TCU did more than anybody, is they would wait until you would engage the double and instantly run through before the lineman could see the picture and come off and pick him off. Okay? Now, you can handle run-throughs. That's not something that should be impossible to deal with, because at least you get a temporary double team. So, But these are these are ways to keep people from staying on those doubles 
and making the duo play harder to run. What they would like to do with the duo, Sam, is force the ball to bounce outside, close all those inside gaps, and bounce it to an unblocked player. That way now he, they can't hit you vertical. You know, they can't hit you vertical, which is what you really like to do in a dual play. Is you run the play inside and see the, the cavity inside the box. It could hit anywhere. But if all those gaps are closed down, now you got to bounce it outside, which is effective too. It can be. But they feel like it's a better answer to than having them play hit between the tackles or tight ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, it, it speaks to uh, something we talked about last week, and someone just brought this up. Jay McCaha fits. Maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't seen any pin and pulls. One of their go-to, I wouldn't say it was their the, the go-to run scheme. It's one of them we haven't seen because you remember what happened to pin and pulls in, T, in the TCU game? They blew that st- blew that stuff up with the run-throughs. Right? It leaked too much. Yeah. So it, it explains why we haven't seen it so far this season. Al. Yeah, uh, the pin and pulls again, a little better against stationary defenses. You can handle run-throughs in a pin and pull, but it's not the best scheme for it, okay? Because now sometimes your linemen have to come off their pull and come back and pick them off. That happened in the TCU game, and maybe they're late to trigger. The guy blows in there, and, you know, that, that's their defense. Anyway, they do it against everybody, so it's not it's not news. But uh, they're not – I won't say that that, that it's, a, it's a, a play you throw out versus all this – but it, it's not near the priority as other plays that you could run to get the ball outside. Suboptimal, right? Suboptimal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Situation. Right. So, but um, in answer to that question, is no, they have not run a pin and ball. I want, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things they haven't run. But I really believe that they're just keeping in the door. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a really good talking point. Listen, and we're going to get to your questions, uh, like the one Jay McCoff is more like a, a statement. But if you have questions for Al, we always get to those. Uh, at the end of the uh, end of the show. So drop them in the comment section right now. I'll uh, start tagging them and have them ready for when we get to the Q&A. Uh, but it, it speaks to thought process for Michigan as a whole, for Sharon uh, specifically as a play caller. When you have this type of team, uh, when you have a quarterback going like he's going, uh, you can you can hold things back. You can go into a game saying, I, there are things I want to work, right? So play action passing is, I mean, their lights out. But as we said at the beginning of the show, Al, he clearly went to this game wanting to work perimeter runs. And so what it sounds like to me for your duo-busting strategy, that this is one of the answers. You tell me, play caller, that this is one of the answers, that we need to be able to if teams want to play us like this, we need to have our out our perimeter run game honed more as a response to that if we need to. Ideally, we we keep cracking them inside. We have the type of offensive line when we're gelling that we're going to run all our inside schemes anyway. But if we want to, if we need to, and we want to go to the to the flanks, we can go to the flanks. Took it to the second half in the TCU game to really start going to it. I think what Sharon was working was like, hey, we whenever we want to go to this, we want to be able to go to this and be confident that this is going to be the answer. What say you, Mr. Playcall? Yeah, and, and, the, and as I said before, the difference is they weren't going to wait until they blew up a few dual plays to go to it. They got they got after it right away. They ran, I believe, six or seven stretch plays that I counted, and one toss 
which I haven't seen him do hardly at all. Donovan took a toss, okay? Uh, they ran a reverse, okay? And they ran six or seven, I believe, six counter plays, which are not, not necessarily an outside play, but it's, a, it's a, another way to gap off all that movement, just like you saw a week ago on those two power plays. Remember those? Are they outside runs? No, but they allow you to domino block all that movement. And that's 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 good stuff. That's another answer. It's not necessarily in the outside run family, but it's another answer. So you saw more counter, more wide running, and I think because they want to develop it, because it's becoming increasingly obvious that the duo play is a very high priority for people to defend. Yeah, man, they got they got JJ on the perimeter in this game. Just just a little bit. Got to be judicious with it, right, Al? But they showed yeah, it. I didn't mention that. We're going to telestrate that. It's a cool play. A little, a little, a little uh, uh, bluff counter, or not a, not a counter. It was a bluff play, but I don't think they were reading it. I think it was purely designed for JJ. But it was cleverly schemed. And again, watch the watch the uh, the uh, video breakdown, and you'll see. We'll detail that. All right. So what do you think about the idea, though? You didn't focus specifically on the part about holding things back. Did you hold things back as, a, as an Oh, owner? yeah. I think everybody is to agree, particularly early in the season when you're playing lesser opponents. You want to believe you can beat them with more basic stuff. Um, if you don't, then you probably aren't as good as you'd hoped. But they, they, they I haven't seen a sprint pass yet, a, a pure pocket movement, which I know they have because we have we broke them down before. Sam, they'll sprint option play and you know, several different variations. They've only run one naked. They ran a, a slide play to Bredesen last week, not this week, but last week. Have not seen a screen pass. Have not seen a pure RPO. Okay, now, because this, this question comes up, we got to kind of re-explain this every year. What's the difference, Sam, between an RPO and a run control? Because I classify them differently. They are both forms of RPOs. They're both in the RPO family, but one is more maintenance. Okay, one the, the if you're just throwing a bubble route or, or a a, a, a lot, what I call a line route where they're blocking in the perimeter and a guy shooting into the flat behind the line of scrimmage, those are basically done. Uh, well, the bubbles a lot of times they're they're thrown off pre snap reads, sometimes mm -hmm. post snap. Lines are run a little bit more off post snap, but they're lower maintenance because they're nice short throws. RPO is a little different story. A pure RPO, you are throwing off an add in defender down the field in some way, shape, or form whether it be a quick slant or they take that away, usually you'll give them a little complimentary receiver in a flat. We have not seen RPOs, pure RPOs. We have seen a, we have seen some run control, very little, but some run control. So, uh, again, those are, those are things I think you're going to see more of. I don't know if they're ever going to be a big RPO team. I think if you asked them, based on what I've seen so far, they'd say, well, I'd just rather play pass and not put let them just – Make the fake, watch those guys suck up and take a big bite out of the other team's ass, period. Uh, but I think you'll see more more of that, okay? Um, uh, and again, pin and pulls, because that's something I wrote down too even before the, uh, the question is, I think you'll see more pin and pulls because a pin and pull has been a really good play for, uh, for Michigan uh, ever since Harbaugh's been here. They started again to incorporate more counters into their offense which there were very few the first week, and, and that's always been a good play for them too. So uh, from a run game perspective, uh, now one thing they did add that we're going to talk about that I would – this will make Joe Simon happy is option routes. They I, I, I counted four different forms of either tight end or, or slot option 
during the course of the game. Now, he didn't always throw it to the option route, but uh, they were incorporated into, into the structure of the route, okay, the structure of the pattern. So uh, uh, that's good. That's good stuff because that's stuff you're going to need against good teams, and they got guys that can do it. So that run up to, to Tyler Morris was wasn't that a an option yes, route? It was. Yeah, there was option. I saw uh, the tight end option and slot option. One uh, one time, uh, and I think we got this on. We're going to show this. I don't think we tell straight where, where JJ looked left and all the rush was left into the option. He couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. He's looking to the option route to Tyler and. His vision got blocked, so he he kind of broke, and then ran up and hit a hit a guy right sitting over the top of the ball on a run up throw. Yeah, which was, was yeah, but it was oh no, I actually and another one he actually hit the option route off the improv, and so uh, so it was a factor. I mean, it was a factor. So, and I hope yeah. uh, I'm sure we'll see more of that. Yeah, yeah. So it's the fact that we haven't seen a single RPO is the biggest confirmation. As if I didn't. First of all, I've confirmed it. I, I they have, they have held a lot back. <laughs> you know, you don't need to be an expert observer or have inside intel to know that, but can confirm for the record. Yeah, they're holding a whole lot back, right? But you know, you can see that with the way JJ's playing, as we laid out at the very top, he is on fire. <laughs> like the dude is his decision making, his execution. His leadership, his handling of the increased pre-snap responsibilities, everything is pristine. So every reason to trust him for with, with more RPO, especially when he showed he could execute it last year. That they haven't run a single one is proof positive they're holding stuff back, right? They, they got that. They have that and a lot of other things on the ready. But these games allow for them to focus on something. We are going to work this perimeter run game. We are going to get this run game home. You you say something all the time out that sticks out to me, and it, it probably rubs fans the wrong way. And I let off my post-game article with this. I was like, Michigan, no matter how good J.J. McCarthy is, and he's outstanding, will be a run-first team. Mm-hmm. It's non-negotiable. It's who they are. So whereas you got some other teams who, when the box is loaded, they're going to they're gonna throw off of it. 70, 80% of the time, that's not Michigan. Not going to be Michigan. They want to be able to run into loaded boxes, and so they're going to work on running into loaded boxes until they get good at running into loaded boxes. And Now, is it always going to be the case that they do it? No. They, they want to be versatile enough that they, they can throw it too and throw it really, really well, but they're going to run that rock out, and that's never going to well, change. I'm going to say this, Sam. If whether the box was loaded or not dictated how much you ran the ball, Blake Corman would never touch the ball. He just wouldn't because the box is loaded so often against Michigan that you could turn it into a passing circus in a Minnesota minute. Okay. And that's just not the best use of your personnel. Although schematically it may seem like the thing to do. And I think you do need to do some of that. And they certainly have done some of that. But there is a time when uh, the good running teams, as I always say, they're a little hard-headed. They say, we're going we're gonna to pound that thing in there, and it may we're going to chip at that rock until it cracks. And it may be a few ugly plays in there. I don't care. The fans might boo. Eventually, the rock's going to crack. Or they're going to be playing that thing so damn hard, I'm going to pull it out and take a bite. So 
uh, out of their ass. Yeah, out of their ass. So I just, I just don't. I think that it's a hard thing, you know. If you, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around when you're, you know, you know, fans are running the ball up the middle. Why do they keep running the ball up the middle? You know, sometimes there's a purpose there. There's a purpose there. So uh, here's the thing. I think uh, I want to just kind of close this part of the conversation with this is I think they, they, they got to crank that run game up. It's got to continue to improve because mm-hmm. the thing about it, as well as JJ's plan and he is God knows is if the ball isn't run well against some of these better teams that they're going to put more pressure on him against better guys mm-hmm. and the pass rush is going to start being a factor. I haven't been a factor yet. But when they're playing Penn State, Ohio State, some of these better teams, and they're not running as well, and you become very quarterback dependent, and as much as he's proven he can deal with that, the best quarterbacks in the NFL with no run game, or at least no threat of a run game, sometimes don't do very well. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So... The point I'm making is is just con- they're not doing bad. They're okay. Just continue to develop and don't give up on it because that's your style of play. Okay. Uh, so that's that's I think uh, how they got to think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the uh, your grades. And by the way, if you have questions for Al, put them in the comments. We will get to them. After Al goes through his breakdown as far as the grading of the offense in week two, break them down, Al. Well, I went through uh, the I'll – start, I'll start with the O-line. Uh, the O-line did not have a lot of minuses, okay? And you could say, oh, they don't run the ball well. If you give them anything better than a C, you're not – well, they did pass the ball well. So you got to give them credit for that, particularly in light of the, people, the fact that people are overkilling – stopping their run. So I gave them a B minus to C plus. Again, I don't think they're the standard yet, but they weren't bad because they're giving a quarterback an opportunity to execute the alternative to shoving dual plays up their butt. Right. So I, I, I can't say they're playing poorly. They're not playing their best, but they're not playing poorly. The wide receivers, I gave a B. They got a little better on the perimeter blocking. They still have a little ways to go there. Uh, but They've been consistent. There hasn't been a lot of drop balls. The plays that should have been made were made. So I think that's been good. I gave the tight ends an A. I thought the tight ends played really good. I think the tight ends are, are very good players, and they're being used well, and and uh, they were consistent blocking. Uh, they, they, you know, Harbaugh's offense is awesome. It's tight end 
tight end heaven. Those kids have died and gone to tight end heaven because they get to block, they get to catch, they get to do it all. So it's kind of neat. And I can't give McCarthy anything but an A. I gave him an A minus last week. I gave him an A. I, I just don't. He's just not getting any bad grades. I, when I when I grade him, uh, bad throw, you know, bad footwork, late throw, those were easy to do a year oh, a year ago. If I wanted to be nitpicky with JJ last year, he wouldn't have graded better than a B in any game. But this year, different player. He's the balls are coming out on time. The decision making is good. He's checking the ball down when it needs to be checked down. He's taking it down the field. He's mechanically running, uh, executing the run game. And I think, uh, and, and presents a running threat, which he did with a quarterback draw and a little bit of a little uh, bluff play where he took the ball around the edge. I mean, the kid is, is on schedule, on schedule with change. <laughs> he's, he's really done well. So, uh, I thought it was a pretty solid performance for the most part. Just got to get that run game going. What about, back the, to standard. What about, what about the running backs? Running backs, uh, I gave them a B. Uh, I thought Donovan was a little impatient on a couple of outside runs, on one outside run. But uh, Blake was Blake. Had 80 yards, I think, in uh, 15 carries. Like to see him get 100, you know, and I, when I get to the bitterness suite, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But but uh, they were good. I didn't see any issues uh, in pass protection, but I gave them I gave them a B. All right. So let's get to your bitter and sweet, and then we'll get to the questions. Well, uh, like I said, the run game, and in particular, continuing to develop the outside runs because they're still not where they need to be. And I'd like to see them get a, a running back 100 yards. You know, somehow somebody gets by this time that was a non-factor. But it'll get them, you know, get them fired up. You know, get them going. Uh, 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 Donovan Edwards had six carries for nine yards, and he's a better player than that. And anytime you're uh, a player like that's not getting the kind of yards you think he is, you got to start looking at what you're doing or what he's doing, or both. Okay, and see if schematically you can't. You, the good players, I'm, I learned this, you know, watching Jerry Rice. They got to touch the ball early in a game and touch it enough where they don't get frustrated. Because if they get frustrated, you you can lose them, you know. And he's got it share carries with Corum, but he's a good receiver too. So there's ways to work him. Okay. And that, that's something I think, uh, they didn't get a short yardage play, uh, because they didn't get a movement. Uh, and that was disappointing, but other than that, not bad in terms of, of the bitter, the sweet was, I'm just, I just love, uh, they get great production on third down. And again, either the quarterback hitting a structural route, or improving, moving defenders and throwing the ball after the fact to keep the chains moving. The downfield shots continue to break the heart of the defense. And uh, not always necessarily taking the downfield shots in this game, but even the checkdowns hurt him. So um, and that's a lot about the decision-making of the quarterback, and, and he's doing a great job with that, okay? Seeing those checkdowns. Uh, they ran a reverse, which uh, they got it on tape. Every time it'll be a new reverse next time. Won't be the same reverse, but it was sure was good to see that. And it's another way to get the ball outside, okay, to a to a wide receiver. And the addition of some option routes, as I mentioned before, I thought that was cool. Uh, they were very productive, either again structurally or with improv. But I think it's a, a real cool part of your offense that you can use on any down and distance, whether it's third down and six or first down and ten. And they got kids that can run it. But it was just great to see that concept used because I know they – it's another one. I knew they had it in their book because I'd seen them run it before. And But they they uh, 
they broke that out. So uh, more sweet than bitter, more sweet than bitter, but still some things to fix. So. All right, Al, can you hear me? I kind of got a little frozen there. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm I'm frozen. We'll try to get that worked out while we get to the uh, get to the questions. I'm gonna send you on the solo screen while I work work my uh, camera issues out. In the meantime, in between time, let's go ahead and get to the first question. If you have questions for Al, put them in the comments right now. Uh, so, Al, you kind of addressed this already, but Ralph Melvin wants to know. What about the offensive line, Al, so far as run blocking? You kind of touched on that already, but uh, specifically, where would you, you know, how much, how improved do you think they can get? Uh, oh, this, they, this incarnation? Yeah, they got some good players in there. It's just a matter of time before they gel. Just remember, it's about chemistry. And this is another problem, Sam, when you talk about rotating guys to find out who the best player is. That's good, good deal and all. But with the line, that is one less game that the five that you want to play with will be playing together. And early in the season, I, I'm, I'm betting this is part of why they haven't done it, is they want those five to get used to playing with each other, communicating with each other, making the calls, doing all this stuff. Uh, so that, you know, in the, in the future games, that they're all on the same page with, with some, some consistency. So, but I think the offensive line is talented and will be fine before it's all said and done. All right, Al, let's go ahead and get to another question here. Um, this gets to this gets to another question about the offensive line. The more I think about the offensive line, the more worried I get. Taking a bunch of transfers, moving a guy from left tackle to right tackle, below average performance against group of five teams. These are all signs of disaster. Seems to me to be a lot of hyperbole there, Al Borges. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I wouldn't jump off a bridge just yet. Uh, I like. I'd, I'd like to see him more productive against the lesser teams. I, I mean, there, there's a there is a a point made there, but. Uh, this is when I worry, Sam, if the guy doesn't look capable, you know what I mean? Cause I've had that now I've had guys that were rookies in there that shouldn't been playing yet. Should have played in two years or should have whatever. And then if the guy's not capable and you got these same issues, you got potential disaster, but these five and not just these five, but add Ladarius Henderson, add uh, Trent a. Jones and other kids in there look very capable to me. So, and I know the Shrill Moral coach him. I think they'll get better. To me, it's not a concern. But people have to understand that there's an overkill to stop the run uh, against Michigan because of what they did a year ago. New players compounded by that overkill equals growing pains. That's the bad news. The good news is the slack is being picked up by the guy who takes snaps. So as long as that happens, you can keep winning. All right, let's go ahead and get to this one. Uh, he actually asked this question twice. Arapaima, excuse me if I said your name wrong. Uh, Sam, he actually asked you this too later, Al. Is JJ a first-round pick this year? I just talked to uh, I talk to some agents every week, and yes. <laughs> yes. The question is how high? How high a first-round pick? Is the as question. high as high gets. I mean, I think I think he's got as much – NFL skill set is the guy at USC. I do. And he won a Heisman Trophy. Uh, again, he's not featured quite as much because SC is going to air it out more, but that doesn't mean anything to me. And they, are worried, they aren't worried about protecting their defense at all. No, they don't care. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. So, uh, you know, uh, when I was start, when I started way back in coaching, we would rate quarterbacks 
using John Elway as the barometer. I think I talked about this with you before. John Elway was really physically in so many ways the consummate quarterback. Had the size, right? He was six foot four. Well, JJ's what, six foot three or so? Had mobility, incredible mobility, could move and throw on the run. That box checks, right? Okay. Was very accurate. Okay. He could hit the target, could throw the ball, he could throw from the ball from one end of the field to the other. And that pretty much applies. Was tough, very tough guy would stand in there and make throws even when the protection wasn't ideal. I see the same thing in him. Uh, and had leadership uh, in a clutch. Uh, J.J. has shown that. Even in their loss a year ago to TCU, he was battling and still making plays, okay, yeah. even after some, uh, some, some bad fortune early in the game. So I'm not saying J.J.'s John Elway. I'm not saying he's not because he has some of the same qualities that Elway has. Now he still has to mature as a core. There's so many factors still when I, like I said, we can't anoint him just yet, but he has first round draft pick skill set. I've had three of them and he's as good, if not better from that perspective as all of those guys, you know, new Heisel after the game said, man, this dude reminds me of Joe Burrow. Uh, and when they asked JJ about it after the game, he said, "That's who I compare. That's who I model after." And you know, I it's ironic that I inadvertently made a, a Joe Burrow comparison when we were talking about that TCU game. When we were talking about that, you know, he threw that out off a off a hitch step and not a plant throw. And the very next must have been the very next week, but they were playing uh, Buffalo uh, in the AFC title game, and Joe Burrow throws it off a plant throw. And it's the same coverage, and he nails it, right? Not even thinking about that's who J.J. might be, but he, J.J. Mm-hmm. said, yeah, that's who I – that's basically who I'm patterning, patterning myself after. And New Heisel, longtime head coach, quarterback guy, said, man, I see Joe Burrow all over there. I think Joe Burrow second-best quarterback. I know, ignore week one performance, which he was terrible, but how mobile he is, how tough he is because he's got the hell beat out of him first couple of years and his ability to process coverages on the run and make accurate throws, man, mm. I, I think that dude is, he's outstanding. Only guy better than him than me is Pat Mahomes. Yeah. He's Pat Mahomes, a magic man. He's a different kind of a different kind of quarterback, not completely different, but a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good comparison. And I think, again, I don't know how fast uh, Joe Burrow is, but if you put, Two of them on a line and race forty yards. I put my money on JJ. Yeah, didn't so, one of your guys coach Burrow at LSU? One of your uh, Steve Ensminger, yeah, Steve Ensminger yeah. was with me at, at Auburn. Uh, yeah, so um, so yeah, I don't I don't see a ton of difference. I think it's a good comparison. You know, again, you you don't want to throw too many roses out there, but because right. it tends to be the kiss of death. But right now. The, the thing that, I'm again, I'm so encouraged by is the difference between his play a year ago, which wasn't bad, just was not refined. But it's much more refined now, and he still has the same skill set, yeah, if not better. Okay, so we'll see. Yeah, he a follow-up from our prime. He said, what would it take for J.J. to win the Heisman Trophy? I think he, he has to be lights out against Penn State and Ohio State. 
Yeah, yeah I, I profile games. games. Yeah, I yeah. profile games. Because he won't have – his stats won't compare to those other guys. Stat-wise, no. stat it won't. It won't. So. No, no. And, and, and no. And But that's unfair. But in the past, the Heisman – there's been guys that stats didn't compare, and they still gave the Heisman to him. Yeah, he has to play well in the big games, win the national championship. Of course, they pick – they pick it before the national championship game. But if you can see – if you're on track for that type of play and you're, you're playing well in big games before they all vote, you know, I think I think he could win the Heisman. I think I think he's, without a doubt, a strong candidate. Uh, I, if he keeps playing like he's been playing. Yeah. Uh, here's one from David Betts. Al, if J.J. is playing so well, might opposing defenses abandon this duo-killing defensive style, or do they just let J.J. kill them on play action? Good question. Well, they can abandon it, but they'll get the ball shoved up their butt. If they, if they try and play stationary defense on Michigan and allow them to double-team, you're not going to have any trouble finding a 100-yard rusher. They have to do what they do to stop the primary weapon Michigan has shown in the past and force J.J. to play well. That's what every defense is going to say. There's more components to throwing a pass, catching it, and run with it than there is taking the ball and just running it straight downhill. Defenses from day one are taught we must stop the run. If we don't stop the run, we ain't beating anybody, and that's probably true. So uh, uh, you can hit and miss and guess a few times. Okay, they're going to play pass this time. I think this last team did that once in a while. They played a couple two robber defenses on early downs, and but you keep that up too much, uh, you're going to get beat. They're going to they're going to run the ball on you. Yeah. Uh, this next one is uh, I'm going to kind of group two questions in one, so I'll put both up on the screen. Um, from Darren, Darren talks ball. He said, how do you get Donovan going? Who, what do you see holding him back? Blank name says more specifically is Donovan Edwards is struggling running in a load of boxes. I, I, I guess out to set this up further. I don't think that's just about Donovan. I think it's, you know, you get back to the offensive line and we're, we were talking about gelling, but I, it, it makes me think of a scenario with you, Al, uh, because it is clear. Harbaugh made clear. I remember one of the press conferences, maybe several of the press conferences where Jim was talking about making sure everyone eats, make sure everyone eats. And he would always start off with, with saying, making sure if Blake gets 20 carries, Donovan gets 20 carries, knowing that you know, you're probably not going to be that exact match, but emphasizing the need to make sure there's equal time. And through two games, Blake Horm has 30 touches. Donovan Edwards has 27. They are making a concerted effort to make sure that there is balance in usage. Here's my question to you, Al. Because running back more than any other position, uh, for a lot of guys, I think is a rhythm-based decision. So one of the differences that I see with Blake is, with Blake, his touches, a lot of them, tend to be consecutive like he he'll get two or three carries in a row not two or three consecutive plays but he'll get two or three touches uh in in the row as far as the offensive maybe it's a maybe it's uh you know he caught a pass on that that flood route he's gonna get a carry he's gonna get some touches in succession donovan doesn't get that quite as much so i ask you this question from the standpoint of a guy who had cadillac williams and ronnie brown on an undefeated team both guys wound up being first-round draft picks. 
you know, how much do you have to think about things like that? It's clear that they're thinking about making sure both guys get X number of touches. Mm-hmm. How much do they also have to think about, okay, do I have to scheme rhythm too? Yeah, that, that can be tough, particularly now the games are getting shorter, right? Because of the rules. Um, but there is an answer to that, you know, uh, but, it, you know, and they're, they're trying desperately to do it. You know, uh, they're not running the ball as well, which is hurting them a little bit, but, what we did, and I had to screw this up before I got it straight, is uh, I had talked to Ronnie Brown about coming back his senior year instead of, you know, coming out in the draft and such. And uh, one of the things I wanted him to know is that we were going to use him because Cadillac Williams was there and Cadillac Williams was the featured back. And, uh, you know, it's easy to get get lost in, in that. But um, we decided that we we're going to have him play some fullback or be the, the other back in there. Okay. Not necessarily all fullback skill set stuff, but be the other back. Uh, we played a game. He touched the ball seven times the first game. And I said, Oh my God, that is some bad coaching. I go, That's a bad coach. That's totally my fault. So what I did is I, I talked to him. I said, Ronnie, that ain't happening again. Okay. Cause it, not because I want to make you happy as much as I want to win. And if you're touching the ball seven times, and this would probably be carryover with Donovan too, well, it doesn't give us as good a chance to win, right? So what we did is we put a package up, Ronnie Brown package, that was centered around him doing a variety of things, whether it was playing fullback, whether it was playing wide receiver. We stuck him in there tight end a little bit. We put him in motion a lot. We just had, you know, 15 different variations of how Ronnie could touch the ball. And we committed to it. We said, we're going to do this. And then every third series, we would move him into halfback. So he, we knew that he could get some rhythm now. Okay. He was not going to always be the fullback, always because, well, what this did is it was a goal mine for us and a bigger goal mine for Ronnie because he got featured as a receiver as well as a running back. Okay. He ended up, but his Cadillac, I think, had like 1,300 yards. Ronnie had almost 900 yards, but he had 38, 39 catches. So that just with the NFL, they're going, holy smoke, who is this guy? He can catch, he can run, he can block, he can do everything. He did it all, you know, because we'd have him. I, all I asked him, I said, Ronnie, once in a while, you got to do some dirty work. You're going to go in and block somebody every so often. So they don't know every time we stick you at fullback, it's going to be, you're, we're releasing you for a pass. But uh, it was something that we had to give a lot of thought to every week. And before we left the room for our game plan, we looked at the Ronnie Brown package and made sure that there were plenty of opportunities in there where he was going to touch the ball. And I'm not, I'll bet you they do something very similar. Uh, it would be my guess. Yeah. Their touches are too close for that not to be yeah. a focus, yeah. right? They, yeah. they are making sure that but these guys get equal play. Right. And, and here's, let's also remember, neither of these guys have played the fourth quarter yet. So there will be more touches as they get in the tougher competition, they play more of the game. Uh, but this this other part of the the thinking, this is why I wanted to ask you this question. You know, is that something that you have to think about as a as a play caller? I got to try to establish rhythm here, too, in addition to the touches. And it sounds like you guys had a remedy for that. And I imagine this is the kind of ongoing thing with, with winning being the most important. It's, you know, it's not it's not just, hey, I got to keep this guy happy. It's like what gives us the best chance for Donovan to do what Donovan did at the end of last season, right? How do we get him on that track? And Blake, too, because neither guy is is 
where he was at the end of last year yet as far as their rhythm is concerned. Blake Corum is not getting tackled in the open field. I'm sorry. It's not happening. By, by UNLV? Oh, hell no. <laughs> and Blake said as much after the game. Without, dis, without disrespecting UNLV, he was like, I'm not. I'm, I'm back. I'm 100% healthy, but I'm not back to me yet. And I think he had to be thinking of that play where he, he gets outside, he's one-on-one in the open field, and a dude makes a tackle. That doesn't happen to Blake Horn. Not so, often. Yeah, so, not, very, not often. But it, it happens to anybody once in a while, but it ain't going to happen with any consistency. Yeah, yeah. So they, they'll get on track. And I, knowing, knowing Sharon and, and Mike, you know, they, this is the kind of thing that I'm, I'm sure, because this is not a problem. You got to understand this about Donovan, team guy, team guy. Like, you know, he's not, for as much as, as fans might think, oh, we got to keep him happy. We got to keep him happy. Even if he gets frustrated, he does, he's not going to ever make it about him. That's just not who he is as a guy. So uh, they're winning. They're a tight team. You know, I think for, for him and for them, it's all about, all right, how can we get both of these guys going to the level we got them going last year to help the team mm-hmm. so when they face Penn State and Ohio State more so than, oh, we got to keep them happy. So um, let's move on to the next question. This is a really interesting question, Al. This is from Brian Block, who asks, is RPO, quote, too expensive, unquote, to run when they can just play action? RPO takes a lot of practice time. Most teams that run RPO, uh, it, it's most of their offensive scheme. Do you, what do you make of that? What's your response to that question? That's just a, an excellent question. I mean, that that's a great question. RPOs are expensive. Let's start with that now. They are expensive. Uh, now, most guys who run a lot of RPOs will tell you it's worth the expense. Uh, and most teams that run a lot of RPOs don't run as much play action as you're seeing Michigan do in the first couple games. What's the advantages, disadvantages? That's where you got to start. One is it does take a lot of training with a quarterback, but it does exploit loaded boxes with the option to run or pass into that loaded boxes based on how they react. Disadvantages, it's very difficult to to, to uh, determine what your run-pass ratio is going to be because you don't know what that reaction is going to be. So the ball could be given, the ball could be thrown, and you may be taking carries away from a guy you want to have the ball. Okay? Uh, with play passes – now, because the linemen don't go downfield but just sell the run, and I should have mentioned this with the RPOs, the ball has to come out fast. So you can't throw a lot of balls way down the field like you can on a play pass. On a play action pass now, you can sell the run, which which Michigan does a wonderful job of, and take big bites. Now the defense is, is paying much more for their aggressiveness than they do on RPOs, okay, because you're running – deep break-ins and dagger routes with posts and all kinds of stuff where the ball's going down the field and they still got to play your run game just like they did on the RPO. So I think a mixture of both is a good deal, but to say that you can get good at both of those, maybe that's a good question. Maybe you do need to temper one or the other, but if I was going to go, if I was Michigan, I would lean more to the play actions and a little less to the RPOs knowing that there'd still be some RPOs. Yeah, this was uh, a very, very – there are more I, – I, I know that there are big questions. All right, so I, one more. We'll squeeze one more in. Apologize that I can't get to all of them. I'm trying to keep this tighter to an hour, right? 
Uh, so here is one from Marty Lynn. How big a difference will Harbaugh being on the sideline make for in-game adjustments, you think, Al? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know how much, I don't really know how their dynamic works, but uh, I would guess that in most instances, the coaches are making the in-game adjustments and Jim will just basically tell them, hey, he may suggest something here and suggest something there, but he's trying to manage the football game. Okay, he's got a lot of other things and motivate the football team when things are good and bad. So I think most of those adjustments are still made by the uh, by the assistant coaches. I just think the head coach's presence makes a hell of a difference. Uh, not so much in these last games. I can, I don't know if it really did in these games, but when you start getting into the big ones, you know, the red letter games, the the Penn States and the Ohio States, the Michigan State. Now I think his presence is a factor a huge factor because they want to see they want the team takes on the personality of the coach, the head coach. And if the head coach isn't there, it's easy to lose your way. So I think him coming back here in the next couple of weeks will, will play a big part in their success. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to wrap it there. Uh, because we got to get over to the film study to kind of give you the schedule. We I've amended it. To, to try to fit everything in after a week. So live with Devin on Monday, live with Al at noon on Tuesday, live with Vance at 5.30 on Tuesday, right? And then we go with the film studies starting, uh, we get all the film studies up on, on Wednesday. So from now on, all film studies go up on Wednesday. Then Wednesday evening, that's when we jump into the, uh, the discussion with Devin Gardner, Daniel Horton and I, we debuted last week, the Steady Dropping Dimes. We'll do uh, week two. A lot to talk about around college football. Of course, there's Mel Tucker. Of course, there's Coach Prime. Of course, of course there's Texas going into Alabama, knocking them down. You got the NFL slate uh, where – got the Lions, Sam. We got the Lions. Damn the Lions, right. Sam. The Leos. <laughs> you damn right. We're going to talk about the Lions. Yeah, I love those Lions. We're going to talk about how nice, hey, man, San Francisco – Gun. I, I, I talked to Brian Greasy uh, in the summer about Brock Purdy. It's, man, they the Niners look every bit as good as we thought they were going to look. Uh, Eagles struggled a little bit, but you know they're going to be there. And I think it's Dallas and Detroit for that next team in, in the mix. So we'll get into all of that on Steady Dropping Dimes. That'll be Wednesday night. Look for it on your lives. In the meantime, in between time, Al and I got to get over, get this film study recorded. Want to thank all of you for your support for this broadcast and the film study, which we don't make any money on. We don't none, none. advertise. Don't even think it. Don't even think it. Right. So, you know, all those uh, network hawks that come after folks who use the video, we only use it for the entertainment of our no, audience, right? Our audience. Education, edification, Sam. Edification, edification, Sam. Of our audience, right? So, but right if you want to support Sam. that effort, you can do so. We're going to put the PayPal fundraiser link for the film studies with Al Board just right here in the comments. Be sure to click that if you want to help support that effort. Until the next time, folks, thanks for watching another edition of the Michigan Football Breakdown focused on the offense with Al Borges. Go Blue. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.